Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. Today, we are going to be talking about the team currently at the top of the Eastern Conference standings and currently at the top of the NBA standings as well. So I'm here today with Jordan Kligman. And Jordan, how are you today? Pretty good, I guess. I have my own podcast this year, 416 Basketball. I just like talking to myself, I guess. Well, if you ever need someone else to talk to, I would be more than happy to come on that podcast. But let's start this podcast by talking about the Toronto Raptors offseason. And when discussing the Toronto Raptors offseason, there's really only one place to start. The trade by which the Raptors acquired Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green and sent away longtime franchise cornerstone DeMar DeRozan to the San Antonio Spurs. So far, it's looked to be a pretty decent trade for both sides, but what are your thoughts on the deal? I still can't believe it happened. Like, it was just something like a fantasy, sort of. And then also in my mind, I'm just like, they're going to force us to take back a bad contract. They're going to force us to take back, like, Patty Mills or something. But they gave us Danny Green, and I was just like, what? And apparently they were trying to trade him since the deadline last year. I don't know what was going on there, but like you get a two-way superstar in Kawhi Leonard, you get like a two-way good role player in Danny Green. I don't know who can be mad. There's still some Raptor fans that are upset because of loyalty or some nonsense, but my, my loyalty is to winning and that's where the team's loyalty should be. And it was a great trade. First of all, anyone who talks about loyalty in the NBA anymore should look at the Isaiah Thomas and Blake Griffin trades and realize how stupid that is. And DeMar DeRozan is yet another example of that. But I think the most interesting part of the trade was the fact that the Raptors were actually able to pick up Danny Green. And that, I think, says more about Masai Ujiri's skill than almost anything else. And it's really difficult to even convince the Spurs to make a trade. And I think it's even harder to win a trade with the best president of basketball operations, general manager tandem the league has probably ever seen. Yeah, it, it's crazy because... I assumed like the young player the Spurs wanted at the time was OG Ananobi, um, and I thought at the very least they would take Pascal Siakam. This is before you know Siakam's breakout season, but like Yaka Pearl, I really loved when the Raptors drafted him. I had him top five on my board, but I thought his like ceiling was capped, and I was just surprised that he was the chip for their future they were interested in. Uh, I'm guessing the Raptors drew a line in the sand and said, you're not getting OG or Pascal, and they had to settle for Jakob. But um, it's interesting that like the Spurs are making it work with DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, two mid-range players, and somehow these collection of unknown young guys are hitting threes for them. That's the other thing about this trade. It certainly seems like the Spurs weren't looking really for a young asset as the primary piece of that trade, obviously. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gone for DeMar DeRozan. But it seems like most of the superstar trades of the past couple of years or so have been sort of selling the superstar in return for some veteran players or at least a couple of older role players involved rather than purely just sacrificing the star for younger assets. And it seems strange to me, I guess, 
But on the other hand, the Spurs have never really been the kind of team that sells out for the tank. The only times that they've really tanked have been that their star player got injured. That's how they got Tim Duncan. David Robinson got injured. All of a sudden, the Spurs sort of gave up on the rest of the season at that point, but not really sort of the aggressive, let's be as bad as possible tanking that we've seen from a number of other teams in the league. Yeah, and they're also a team that doesn't seem to trade a lot. Like, they always find guys in the draft, then they'll get some, like, undervalued guy in free agency that ends up being a nice role player for them. So it's interesting to see, like, when they had to make a trade, like, I guess it makes sense, like, because Popovich, I don't know, he might not be coaching in, like, three or five years' time. So it's like, why would he want to go through a rebuild, I guess? But at the same time, like, I can't see how they're going to figure out how to make a run at a championship anytime soon. I mean, also on that same note, it is a bit strange that, you know, they make this trade that's clearly to try and maintain as much of their level of play from the previous season as possible, yet they really, I think, pretty dramatically actually undervalued how Danny Green would work outside of the Spurs system. And, you know, they had some justification in doing that, given that Danny Green had multiple tries with the Cleveland Cavaliers to even stick around in the league before he managed to find a home in San Antonio. But surprise, surprise, it looks like all of the player development work done with Danny Green in San Antonio has paid off. And I don't think it would be fair, honestly, for Raptors fans to ask much more out of Danny Green than what he's given them so far. Yeah, and I think Danny Green was it was also a player option for the ten million he opted into. Like, I think they were hoping he didn't pick up that option of the Spurs, but like, he I think he's the Raptors' best three point shooter right now, and he contributes a lot defensively too. So it's just interesting how two teams very differently value a player. So Danny Green is actually currently second on the Raptors in three-point percentage. So let's get into talking about the player who is number one on the Raptors in three-point percentage. And in doing so, let's talk about the rest of their free agency moves. Number one on the Raptors at the current moment in three-point shooting percentage with more than one attempt, I should say, Chris Boucher shooting 47.1% from deep on about one and a half threes a game. I believe he was at 50% at one point, so that's not looking good for him, you know? it's <laughs> um, Yeah, he hits them in garbage time. That's, that's his job. Just come in, just hit some threes against some bad players because they're not guarding at that point. But um, it'll be interesting with Boucher because I think I think he's going to creep into some minutes in the rotation uh, this season, just seeing like how bad C.J. Miles has been and how much the Raptors need three-point shooting. When I look at Chris Boucher, though, he, he's just really thin, and I don't know how much he can hold up defensively. He just kind of looks like a, a longer like DeLon Wright in body stature. So it'll be interesting. I, I think he can hit threes, though. The thing about Boucher is in very limited minutes, he's got an incredibly high block rate. He's knocking down a number of three-pointers, even if it's in garbage time. Being able to hit threes at that size is pretty useful for a team. And so you're 
the immediate thought I had was, you know, oh, he can be a project type of player. Maybe in a couple of years, he'll be developed to the point where he can be a rotation piece. And then I realized he's 26 years old already. Yeah. Um, I think it's just like that. I feel like if you can hit threes, though, you have a role in this league. Like when CJ Miles was like a competent player for like, I don't know, I don't last five years until now. He was doing nothing defensively, really doing nothing besides hit threes. So if you have that skill, you can shoot, I don't know, like mid to high 30s. You can get minutes in this league. And, like, I th- I think he's got to figure out how to, I don't know, beef up a little bit. Because, like you say, you mentioned that like his block rate is good. I don't know. I feel like that's definitely not going to hold up getting, like, real rotational minutes. Because I've just seen him just cooked inside too many times. Like, he just gets pushed around or moved out of the way because uh, he's like a twig. But yeah, I, I think like the, the three point shooting could could be there for him, but I don't really think he's gonna bring much else. But I think that could be okay. Like I think that the Raptors are just so in desperate need of three point shooting that Chris Boucher, he's going to find his way into lineups. Well, someone who certainly is not going to find their way into lineups because of their three point shooting, the other big ish free agency signing of the Raptors offseason Greg Monroe has been really disappointing as a rapper so far. I don't know if you've seen anything different, but I just don't understand what the purpose would be for the Raptors of playing him any sort of minutes other than trying desperately to fill holes due to injuries. Yeah, I think that was the signing, that it's like uh, a minimum center uh, that's your third string guy. Um, I don't think he's been bad. I think that he we kind of know what he is at this point that like he can score in the paint. He's not going to help you defensively. He can rebound a little bit. He's a decent passer for a big man, but like, um, he did, he, like he attempted a three the other night and that was, that was fun. He didn't make it, but I think it's his second attempt of the season. I don't think he's going to start making them or anything, but, um, he sort of just does things that gets a smile out of me, like when he hugged Shabet as Napier uh, attempting a, th- uh, I'm not sure if it was a three or just a long two. He just bear hugged him, just the whole, and then he tried to argue it away um, that the uh, Shabazz wasn't shooting. So like he's just he just adds interest to the game to me. I feel like he's probably one of the better third string centers in the league. That's not saying much. Um, I feel like the most he can play in a game is probably 15 minutes. And if you're asking him to play in the playoffs, you're probably in trouble. But I think in the meantime, while Jonas Valanciunas is out, I think he's fine. Like I'd rather have like Siakam getting shifting minutes to the center position um, aside from playing power forward as well. But like, you, I don't. I don't want like our guys to be playing like insane minutes. Like yesterday, nobody on the Raptors played thirty minutes, and that's good. That's good. You want to conserve your guys. You want to keep your guys fresh. And guys like Greg Monroe are going to help you do that. As a quick aside, before our next topic, I think the fact that the Raptors can afford to only play players thirty minutes or less for an entire rotation says a lot more about the Raptors' depth than it does about effective minute management because 
there are very few, if any, other teams in the NBA that could afford that kind of minute distribution without getting absolutely killed in the all-bench minutes. But let's talk about the most controversial player in the NBA right now, Patrick McCaw, finally signing a minimum contract with the Raptors after being signed by the Cavaliers away from the Golden State Warriors, who for reasons that I'm not sure I will ever understand, have decided to launch a complaint against the NBA, basically because Cleveland allowed McCaw to enter unrestricted free agency by signing him to a contract. None of any of that really makes much sense to me, but if the Raptors can get, say, Patrick McCaw from two years ago out of this deal, he could be a really valuable rotation piece for them who could hopefully replace some of the minutes from CJ miles, who, as you've already said, is not exactly having the best year of his career. Yeah. It's interesting because I feel like the warriors do have agreements here because they would have paid him the minimum. They were willing to do that, but because Cleveland offered him more, they're just like, yeah, we're not doing that. But the stupid, um, non-guarantee in the, the offer sheet, just kind of screws over the Warriors, and I, I don't, I don't really understand how that loophole even exists. But like, whatever the the Cavs, you could say the Cavs tampered or whatever, but the, the Raptors didn't do anything wrong. So he is a Toronto Raptor, but it it's just a weird, weird thing that like I didn't think was possible. All right, let's talk about what the season has looked like so far for the Raptors. And I want to start by going into a little more depth on the big man rotation. Obviously, we've talked about a few of their big men already in talking about their offseason. But let's start with Pascal Siakam, who at the moment is, in my mind at least, the clear favorite for the Most Improved Player Award at the end of this year. Now, it's weird for me to say that as a Kings fan, given how great De'Aaron Fox has been, but I think that says more about just him having a poor rookie season and playing more like the kind of player I think he is this year, whereas Siakam has just got a completely different skill set at this point in his career than he did when he entered the league. Yeah, it it's interesting because like everyone is high on Siakam now and I'm I'm not going to, like, I don't know, be upset about, like, people jumping on now, but because I wasn't high on him when the Raptors drafted him. But last season, Pascal Siakam was very good. He didn't get the crazy amount of shot attempts he's getting this season, but, um, like, the things he was doing, like, just running the court um, like a guard as a big man, he was doing that last season. But the thing we're seeing this season is him just get to the basket over and over again with that spin move and the opposing team just really has no idea what to do I've seen like sometimes they try and force him to one side or whatever and I think sometimes when Pascal Siakam starts driving he doesn't even know where he's gonna finish but he just has such a good feel that he's okay finishing around the basket, no matter where he ends up. It's funny that you mention how much better he was last year. And I think that's part of, in a way, part of why I think he's, this is stupid to say, but part of why I think he's a good candidate for most improved is 
because we saw flashes of it last year. Certainly last year, it seemed like he was showing flashes of what he could be. His rookie season, he was very inconsistent, basically didn't have much in his toolbox other than the energy, but he slowly started adding a three-point shot. He was one of the worst, if not the worst, three-point shooter in the league last year. He's creeping closer to league average this year. He's been incredibly effective in transition, both with the ball in his hands and without the ball in his hands. And he just fills so many holes for this Raptors team. It seems like basically whatever the pretty much whatever the Raptors need done when he's in the lineup, he can find a way to contribute in that regard. And it's really incredible for the Raptors to get someone like that with the 27th pick. Yeah, it's also interesting that like the Raptors had like the best bench I want to say in the league last year with Pascal Siakam and this year the Raptors bench has been pretty bad uh with him starting. So it's it's interesting that him coming out of that lineup um it's not com- that's not completely the reason, but I think that's a big part of it that he just brought so much energy and juiced um the second lineup that like now the second lineup is just like sometimes like they don't know what to do. They don't know how to get the ball up the floor and uh, finish. But like the, the one thing though, aside from his shooting, cause I still don't think his shooting is real just because I think opposing teams are just constantly fine, leaving him open in the corner. But the one thing is sometimes he's running before he has control of the ball. And he's just so fast that sometimes the ball is just getting bobbled on the ground. And it, it's it's just, I just want him to come up with that ball before he starts running because it sometimes kills transition plays um, just because like it's like a wide receiver trying to run before they've caught, caught the football um, and like leading to an incomplete pass. But... Yeah, he's in in that half court setup. Um, like I don't know really how defenses stop him. They just have to. I think right now they're hoping he misses shots. But when he's going to the rim, it it's insane. It's just insane. Like the you know what's going to happen. You know he's going in for a spin move, but it just doesn't matter. Whatever the defense tries. So let's talk about the two primary centers on this Raptors team. In the early season, Nick Nurse did something that I thought was really interesting, and we'll talk more about Nurse later, but sort of splitting the starts in a way between Valanciunas and Ibaka, depending on matchup. Obviously, that's been scrapped given Valanciunas' injuries, but... At this point in the season, Serge Ibaka is averaging 28 minutes a game, and Valanchunas is averaging just under 19 minutes a game. And maybe things look a little bit different from your perspective, but that minute split just doesn't seem right to me. I don't see why Valanchunas is playing under 20 minutes a game, given how effective he's been this year. Yeah, this is pretty insane, because like, even I think last year Valanciunas was having a career year at the time and he was playing a career low of minutes and now he's playing even better this season and playing even fewer minutes this season so it's pretty insane but Abaka has been playing very good after just 
he, people forget he he was like decent for the majority of last season, but really tailed off in the end and was horrible in the playoffs. So I think that's what people have a ta- had a taste in their mouth. But he's been like just terrific this season, and I think just Abaka playing well has kept him, you know, kept his minutes up in the, those high twenties. So I think it's just a factor of Abaka playing well. But I think with Abaka that when Valanciunas comes back, I want to see Abaka play fewer minutes because I don't want to see him play garbage in the playoffs again. And I think the way to do that is you got to keep him fresh. And he's not a young gentleman. So I think... um Maybe just have him play like, I don't know, 25 minutes some nights or even a bit less um, and have like a full 50-50 split there. Uh, because Jonas Valanciunas, I think the people don't really realize about him is, yeah, people know he can score the basketball, he can rebound. But this season, um, I want to say even last season, I don't think he was a bad defender, but this season Jonas Valanciunas has been playing good defense. Um, and I think people don't really realize that and they just assume like a Baca is like the, the great defender of the two and a Baca has been good defensively, but he, a Baca is no longer like that rim protection shot blocker guy. He once was with OKC. Valanciunas isn't that either, but I feel like Jonas Valanciunas is the younger guy. He can he can handle more minutes if needed. I'm really glad you brought up the defense point because I remember that we had this exact same conversation about Jonas Valanciunas' minutes last year on this podcast. And basically my counter-argument for why Valanciunas doesn't get played more is because of his pick-and-roll defense. But with Kawhi Leonard on the team, with Pascal Siakam looking so much better than he has been, even if Valanciunas was still as poor of a defender as he'd been early on in his career, you can hide that a lot better with this current Raptors roster than you could have last year. And especially since he's looked better on the defensive end this year, it makes even less sense that he's playing as little as he has been. I guess the conclusion there on my end is just that there's no reason to play those two major minutes during the regular season because when the playoffs hit, I don't think a single one of the 48 minutes at center should go to anyone besides those two, unless the Raptors decide to play super small with Siakam in there. But Greg Monroe and Chris Boucher, in my mind, should not be part of the playoff rotation. And so then it's even more imperative to make sure that Valanchunas is back up to speed after that injury. And the best way to do that is to give him more minutes than he's been getting. But let's move on to the wing and guard rotation. And this is something that confuses me, but also kind of upsets me every year, is when people dramatically overrate just how important Kyle Lowry is to this team. You talked about how the bench hasn't looked as good this year as it did last year. And maybe part of that is Siakam starting. But I think a much bigger part of that is that there haven't been as many of the Lowry plus bench minutes because Lowry's been hurt. And he, you know, this is a cliche, but Kyle Lowry just makes everyone around him play better. And he was leading the league in assists for a significant portion of the year 
which wasn't his usual role, but man, there are just so many holes that Kyle Lowry can fill. And it just boggles my mind that people outside of the Toronto fan base just don't realize how important he is to that team. Well, I think some people even inside the fan base don't realize how important he is because doesn't score a lot anymore, sometimes doesn't shoot the ball well. But as you mentioned, his assists, that playmaking, the Raptors really don't have anyone else that I think is an above-average playmaker, and he's kind of become this elite playmaker this season. So getting that ball movement I think really helps, especially when you're not a great shooting team. You really want to open up better shots for yourself. So I think he's been really good in that sense. And also defensively, like he's just regularly continuing to take charges. Um, I think the last couple of seasons um, he let, led the league in charges drawn and he, he's content. Like he, again, like last night he took another charge. Like, I like I don't I don't really like him risking his body in the regular season like this, but he he play he plays he he and that that's huge. You're taking away a possession from the opposing team, um, and I think people really don't factor what a good defensive player he is sometimes, um, just because I don't know he his shape that he's a little thick and. Um, he doesn't really have the athleticism or the same speed anymore, but, um, he's just a smart basketball player and the Raptors just benefit so much by him, uh, being in the lineup just because I think there's no one that bring, that can bring a similar skill set to this team. So there isn't really anyone that can bring a similar skill set to Kyle Lowry on this team, but there certainly are a number of players on this team with very similar skill sets. The Raptors have maybe not the deepest wing rotation in the league, but if it's not the deepest, it's certainly close. And it's remarkable that a team with Kawhi Leonard on it and Danny Green on it still has all these other really solid defensive wing players, 3 and D archetypes, OG Ananobi, his shooting hasn't quite been up to snuff this year, but he's still close to league average, which is solid for a team that's struggled from deep this year. You have DeLon Wright, who's just looked better every year that he's been in Toronto. Norman Powell has started a bit of a revival for himself after a really disappointing season last year. And, you know, this is where we go back to the no one played more than 30 minutes in the previous game thing. The Raptors just have so many pieces that they can throw at you on a nightly basis in the wing and guard rotation. On the other hand, that does create a really big minutes dilemma for this team. So where do you think the pecking order should shake out in terms of the wing and guard rotation? Well, it's interesting you mentioned depth because it really doesn't feel like that. I'm guessing... The, the injuries have played a factor in that, but it, I don't know. It just it just feels like there's always guys just not playing well in that bench unit, um, and I think just the way you've got to go is play the hot hand, um, and I know CJ Miles is no, no longer in the rotation now, but I, I want to I get him back in the rotation at some point because... He has a player option for next season. He's going to opt into that $8.7 million. Like, 
he's not a guy that the Raptors, I don't think, can get rid of easily. So, like, I want to kind of recoup his value, get something out of him. Um, and that would make the rotation even bigger. But I, I feel like you just kind of play the hot hand. And I think another thing the Raptors need to think about doing is how to get that bench unit going. And I would consider like playing like Danny Green with that second unit because that second unit sometimes can't shoot or score. And Danny Green is just a, a like fantastic shooter from range. So like I think he would help out a lot um, with that second unit. And I don't think like the starters would suffer too much without him because there's a lot, a lot of scoring options in that starting lineup, and uh, Danny Green's not a volume shooter, so I, I just, I think you play the hot hand, um, but like I want something to get that second unit going. I don't think it's going to be a big deal come playoff time because like starters play monster minutes in the playoffs, but I think just something to get the Raptors through the regular season and can help them get healthy. And I think you've got to develop your bench and help your have your bench help you uh, get through it. You know, when I was talking about the Raptors' depth, you brought up how injuries has maybe made that depth not seem as deep as it were. But I think part of this, from my perspective, is I just don't understand what's happening with C.J. Miles. And, you know, he should this is stupid to say he should be playing much better. Obviously he should be playing much better, but it just doesn't make sense to me that all of a sudden his three point shot has completely disappeared. And even though playing the hot hand with this kind of wing depth makes sense, I do think it would be really important for them to just try whatever they can to get CJ's confidence back. You know, if they play him like 25 minutes a game for the next 10 games, even if the Raptors suck during those 10 games, they've got a decent margin at the top of the conference at this point. And the difference between the one seed and like the two seed isn't big enough that I would be super concerned about say going four and six in the next 10 games. If the payoff from going four and six in the next 10 games is that CJ rediscovers his confidence and starts actually making triples again, because as you've said multiple times already, the Raptors really do need that three-point shooting, and they have a very obvious three-point threat sitting on their bench who's just been languishing in one of the weirdest slumps in the NBA this year. Yeah, I think probably the Raptors have been using him incorrectly. Uh, they have him shooting a lot of these just above the break, just four shots like not within the offense it's just like he gets the ball like hucks it up from deep above the break and I don't think like above the breaks like I don't think he's ever really been so much better than above average from that shot over the course of his career where he's been very good is from the corners and the Raptors have just never used him there um, I don't know why I'm guessing it's because uh, Siakam and OG aren't great three-point shooters themselves so you want those guys hovering to the corners uh rather than above the break but with with him also i think some of the lineups just didn't make sense at the starting start of the season 
where he was playing with like Lorenzo Brown and Jonas Valanciunas and he was like the only like deep threat and defenses knew how to to guard that you like that that playing those three guys like it doesn't matter who else you put on the court that that lineup was never going to score and maybe it hurt his confidence um but i don't know i i feel like there's things you can do like I'd even like risk putting CJ Miles into the starting lineup um, over Danny Green for just like a couple of games, see what happens, um, because I think he would get better shots playing with great players as opposed to other guys who you know aren't doing as well in that second unit. Um, and like, if that doesn't work, like send him to the G League for like a week and see what happens there. But like like i don't know because i don't see the raptors really making a trade so you gotta figure out um how to fix your biggest weaknesses and i think the raptors are like one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league um and as you mentioned like he's over his career he's been a good three-point shooter so he's a guy that in theory could help us but we need to figure out a way uh for him to get a shot back I completely agree with you and was actually going to suggest myself that the Raptors play CJ Miles, if not starting him, at least play him more with the starters because the best way for him to get his confidence back is instead of him just being tagged around the three-point line every single second he's in the game when he's playing with bench players, if he's the fifth most dangerous option on offense playing with Kawhi and Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry and either Ibaka or Valchunas, He's just going to get much better looks because defenses aren't going to be able to focus on him as much. And that certainly seems like the best way for him to get that confidence back. But let's now move on to talking about the person who's going to be in charge of making those decisions going forward. This is Nick Nurse's first year as the head coach of the Raptors, but obviously he played a huge role in their offense being what it was last year. It certainly seems like it's been a good first year for Nurse, but what are your thoughts on how he's been coaching this squad so far? I think we don't really know a whole lot so far. Like, I think one of the first things when Nick Nurse was asked um, about like his coaching, he's he said like he was handed a Lamborghini, like admitting how good this roster is. But I don't think he's done anything to really let you know whether he's an above average or below average coach or not. The one thing I've liked though from him um, is him calling plays from the sideline. Um, I never really saw that from Dwayne Casey. It just seems like in game he's able to get players doing things that work. So I like that. Um, but the the bench unit struggling. I think that's part. That's partly him not figuring it out yet um but with the starting lineup you gotta give him credit for how good that lineup uh when healthy has been but like i feel like with nurse we're not gonna know until the playoffs like the raptors i don't know we're gonna finish between like 55 and like maybe 62 wins and like that's that's where this roster should finish I, I don't think that 
like coaching really plays an an impact on that unless you have an insanely good coach or an insanely bad coach. And I think right now we just he could be middle of the pack. We just don't really know until uh, the playoffs where you need to adapt on the fly and really get creative game to game. Speaking of playoffs, let's talk about the Raptors' chances in the playoffs. And I want to start with their chances in the Eastern Conference. Now, it certainly seems like the Raptors' brass and mainly Masai Ujiri on this front just wanted a bit of a shakeup, which obviously they got with trading Casey for Nurse and trading DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard. It's difficult to handicap at this point in the season, but the way I see the Eastern Conference shaking out is that there are two teams that I think are head and shoulders above the rest of the competition, and they are the Raptors and the Bucks. And then I think the Celtics are a team that could look better in the playoffs than they have in the regular season, but they've certainly been up and down. Philadelphia, I'm not sure how they're going to shake out in the playoffs. Indiana, I think is a bit more of a regular season type of team than a playoff team, but they certainly have the defensive acumen to be dangerous in the playoffs. If I were handicapping it right now, I would say about 45% chance Raptors make it to the finals from the Eastern Conference, and I'd give like 55%-ish to the rest of the field. And before you say anything, I just wanted to make sure that I said that Anything that happens to the Raptors playoff-wise in terms of any jinx is entirely my fault. You had nothing to do with this. You are completely absolved from any Raptors jinx, but go for it. What do you think the Raptors' chances are of making the finals? It's interesting because I was doing this math yesterday. I'm like, we have a 90% chance to win in the first round, like 75% to beat whoever we play like in round two and round three calculate that to all together and it's like slightly over 50 percent so like i'd have us around 50 percent chance of getting the finals i think i think we're better than everyone else in the east but i just think like people often think like oh the best team always makes the finals but like there's things that can happen there's injuries there's weird things like a game could go wonky and change the momentum of the series um and I think, like, round two and the Eastern Conference Finals isn't going to be like a cakewalk for anybody. Um, I think round one should be, but I think, the, like, those other rounds in the East, like, those teams are good teams. And I think at, at the end of the day, the, the Raptors have the better roster. They, they have Kawhi Leonard and... I still believe he's the best player in the East. I think a lot of people want to say it's Giannis. And I I was high on the Bucks coming into this season. And the one thing with, with them is they haven't gotten out of the first round with Giannis yet. And I think they will this season. But making that leap for them to get to the finals, I don't know if it's going to happen. I think... Bud and Brooke Lopez were monster additions, obviously, uh, with how well they're doing. But I think just making that that insane leap, um, I think it's going to be tough for them. But I, they're no slouch. Like they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. 
the way I see it, I think that Kawhi and Giannis are clearly top five NBA players. It's really difficult to say who I would put where. I would probably say I'd have Kawhi four and Giannis five, but the two of them are very close. The difference for me between those two teams is when you get beyond the number one player. Kyle Lowry is clearly better than Chris Middleton, and I'm not even sure who the Bucks would call their number three guy at this point, but I think Siakam would have more of an impact in a playoff series. And just sort of going down the line like that, I just think even if the number one spot in terms of best player on the team is close to a wash between the two of them, I think the Raptors two through eight, two through nine are just better than Milwaukee. And quite frankly, I just don't see it being very likely that anyone besides one of those two teams ends up being the Eastern Conference representative in the finals. Now, in terms of the finals themselves, the Warriors have looked more vulnerable this year than they have in a while. The Warriors also have not even started to incorporate DeMarcus Cousins back into their lineup yet which I don't think is going to go particularly badly for them. If he's not playing well and fitting in well, the Warriors are just going to nail him to the bench. If he does play well and fit in well, and particularly if he can boost the Warriors' bench units that have looked really, really terrible this year, I don't know. It's hard to pick against the Warriors, but do you think the Raptors have a chance in the finals? In terms of winning a game or winning the series? (laughs) I think they'll win a game. I mean, if the 2017 Cavs could win a game and the 2018 Cavs would have won a game had J.R. Smith actually known how to count, I think the Raptors can definitely take at least one game. But, man, I mean, it's just so hard to pick anyone besides Golden State, no matter how much they're struggling. Yeah, and I also don't think it's really fair. Like, Nick Nurse, first-time head coach in the NBA – for him to be coaching in the finals and to really out-coach uh, Kerr, I, I just kind of don't see that happening, and I think that's what he would need to do because that Warriors roster is just so much better. Like, Iguodala shows up in the playoffs, and as, as much as Draymond's been struggling this season, he wasn't great last season in the regular season either, but he was very good in the playoffs, and I think he's a guy that, turn, that gets motivated and gets turned on by the playoffs, so... I, I think um, I think the Raptors don't really have a shot to beat the Warriors in the finals, but I think that's okay. I think getting to the finals would be a huge accomplishment for this organization, um, and I, I'd, be, I'd be really happy with that. So let's talk just quickly about the Eastern Conference layout again. Raptors are currently number one seed in the conference, First of all, do you think they will stay there? Second of all, how much do you think it matters for them to lock up home court advantage throughout the Eastern Conference playoffs? I don't think they really care because uh, Kawhi Leonard is still not playing back-to-backs. And it, I, I don't believe at all to be a health thing why he's not playing back. I think they're just, we have the luxury, we can do this, we're that good that we don't need to risk um, our best player on every night and that that's crazy to me but um yeah i don't think the raptors really care about that and and looking back at previous seasons when the raptors have had the seeding advantage and found the matchup um 
like that they supposedly like it's never helped us like the seating thing it's it's never helped us so i don't think um like you can look at i guess home court advantage of your moving like into that that second and eastern conference finals round but like i don't i don't think um i don't think in the end it's going to really matter just because i think just it, the raptors have a better roster and i think what's going to matter is whether the raptors are fresh or not like if they're they're really chasing wins like like Dwayne Casey used to always chase wins in the regular season um, he went for 60 last season, and Fred Van Fleet got hurt in that final game against Miami, I believe, and he was not right when he returned in the playoffs, um, and I think that was massive, because game one against the Cavs, Fred Van Fleet had a shot to win in regulation and overtime, he missed them both, and that is an injury thing, he was not healthy, he missed, I think, a large amount of that Wizards series. Um, so I think it's just going to matter having your guys fresh because you don't have that talent advantage if your guys aren't healthy. And I think the Raptors priority, uh, this season has been to be healthy. I want to push back on that just a little bit because the one reason I think it would help the Raptors to try and lock up that number one seed is because last year, the Houston Rockets were the clear runaway for best record in the NBA. The Raptors currently hold the best record in the NBA. And even though I don't particularly like their chances in the finals, I think it would be a huge difference for them if they can manage to lock up home court advantage, have game one of the finals in Toronto. If the Raptors have any chance at all of winning the title this year, I think they're going to have to do it by playing four or seven games on their home floor. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't think they have any chance. Like, so I think the way the Raptors would have a legitimate chance, and it's by getting Anthony Davis. And I don't think the Pelicans are trading him now. I, I think though the Raptors would have a competitive package. Um, like if we were to include Siakam, OG, um, and then like Valanciunas or Ibaka or something. So, like, if that were to happen. I feel like, yes, then you can give the Raptors a good shot, but I, I, it's not going to happen, and I, I just don't see it. I don't think the Raptors have a legitimate chance to win the finals this season. Um, it, it is what it is. I think they just need to look at getting there because I think a lot of times the Raptors like think like that they <laughs> that they they can go farther then they should, and then they get bogged down um, around earlier in the playoffs, and the, the it, it's bad because you're you're looking too far out. And I think the Raptors just need to look at beating this Eastern Conference because I think that's very doable for them this season, and I I think that has to be good enough. Like the Warriors are this this dynasty that you, you have you have to wait for them to start breaking apart. And I think a lot of people saw like some of their struggles this season, like, Oh yeah, the Warriors are beatable, but like they're a different animal in the playoffs. Like I know the Rockets came close last year and people are like mentioning like, Oh yeah, Chris Paul got injured, but 
Igadala was injured, and as I mentioned, like like defensively, he's insanely good, and he still brings it in the playoffs. So I I don't think the Raptors are beating the Warriors in the finals, even though we did sweep them in the regular season this year. It I don't think that really means a whole lot, but yeah, I think we just need to get to the finals and everyone will be happy. What will certainly mean a whole lot is this coming offseason for the Raptors. So let's wrap up by talking a bit about that. I put this in the notes and you didn't vehemently disagree. So it makes me think that maybe there's a chance that I'm right on this. But is there even another candidate for most important offseason in Raptors history? See, I don't know how to look at this because like the whole situation with Kawhi Leonard I've just assumed pretty much from the start that he's not going to resign. I just saw the trade as the Raptors trading two years of DeMar DeRozan for one year of Kawhi Leonard, and I'm just like, that that's a good trade. That's a good trade. I wasn't really thinking that we really had a shot to bring him back, and I, I still don't think we have a shot to bring him back unless we get to the finals, and then I think it's a small chance. So, like... People are going to say, like, if he leaves, people are going to say, like, oh, this was a bad trade for the Raptors. They screwed up. They could have still had DeMar DeRozan. But the team ran into its ceiling with DeMar DeRozan. So, like, like important. it's very important to see, like, what path this team, this team goes because if – Kawhi Leonard's not back. Like I'm assuming they're gonna blow it up and try and rebuild around the young guys and OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam, and I'd be okay with that. So it it's it's it, it yeah it's very important, but like it's it's not something I'm really concerning myself with. I guess interesting. I mean, I guess from my perspective, it seems like if the Raptors make it to the finals and if they handle Milwaukee pretty convincingly in, I'm assuming they'll meet in the Eastern Conference semifinals, but if the Raptors play really well through the Eastern Conference portion of the playoffs, maybe lose somewhere between like four and five games, you know, clearly dominate every team that they play against in the Easter Conference playoffs, and then it gets to the offseason and Kevin Durant signs somewhere else, I could see a pretty convincing case for Kawhi Leonard to stick around. I mean, I think a lot of it depends on, you know, how much of Kawhi's free agency has already been discussed by his team, you know, whether he's already sort of decided, okay, as soon as the season's over, I'm going to sign with the Clippers. I don't think he's going to sign with the Lakers. And really, I think it comes down to what happens with the Warriors, honestly. I would not be surprised if Kawhi Leonard is not among the July 1st free agency signings this time around, because if Kevin Durant leaves Golden State and something happens with either Clay Thompson or Draymond Green, whose contracts are soon to be up, all of a sudden the Warriors are vulnerable. And if Toronto looks like the clear best team in the Eastern Conference in the playoffs, I think it would be really difficult for Kawhi to decide, you know what, I just don't care. I'm going to go sign somewhere else. And 
objectively decrease my chances of being in finals contention for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I didn't even really think about that. Like, I yeah, I guess that that could make sense. Like, if everyone's waiting on the Durant domino first, um, yeah, that does make sense. Um, yeah, I don't I don't really know uh, what what's gonna happen there. Um, I just I don't know. In the back of my mind, I just kept thinking like the Warriors gonna keep it intact and. I, they might not, but I, I don't know. Uh, also, though, um, yeah, the Raptors would have a much stronger chance, obviously, if Durant's gone and we bring back Kawhi. But another thing I was just thinking about was, like, if we re-sign Kawhi, like, how much more of a window does this team really have? Because I think Lowry would have would be on the final year of his contract, Ibaka would be on the final year of his contract, and even if you try and extend those guys long-term, it's like how much do they have left in them? So it, it might, that might be like um, the Raptor shot is, is next season. Um, if, if they're able to bring him back, but it, it, it it's interesting for sure. All right. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? Well, the Sacramento Kings are looking good. Thank you. <laughs> that means a lot to me to hear that after doing Lakers and Celtics podcasts back to back. It's like a little bit of my soul evaporated and it just came back. So deeply appreciate it. Yeah, but I've always been a fan of Buddy Heald. Um, and I'm just shocked how well De'Aaron Fox is playing because I wasn't too high on him. He didn't look great last season, but he's played great this season. So, um, yeah, the Kings are... They could they could make a shot at that A seed. They could do it. They really could, which is truly spectacular to say and hear. All right. Well, he is Jordan Kligman. You can find him on Twitter at 416Basketball, and you should also be sure to check out his 416Basketball podcast. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can find both Jordan and my written work on the hashtag basketball website. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. If you have any feedback, positive, negative, constructive, please reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.